this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show brought to you by SaaStock. I'm joined by David Darmanin, CEO and co-founder of Hotjar. David's been on the podcast before as we've discussed the operational learnings of how he bootstrapped the company to 7 million in ARR in two years. Now we find that Hotjar are at 25 million ARR just a couple of years later. Um, So this is a catch-up episode to find out what David has done since then to get to 25 million ARR as a bootstrapped remote-first company. Now let's hear from David. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. Uh, David Darmanin, uh, CEO and co-founder of Hotjar. Welcome, David. Oh, thanks for having me, Alex. Great to be here. Good to speak to you uh, again because it's it's been a while. It's been two years since we had you on the podcast. Um, uh, so for those, those listeners um, uh, who uh, hopefully will uh, enjoy it and, and learn a lot from David on, on this episode, we had David uh, on a couple of years ago uh, where we talked about Hotjar getting to 7 million in uh, ARR within 24 months, which is pretty incredible. Um, and uh, we're looking for a catch up now, uh, not only on the podcast. And of course, I, I haven't uh, uh, seen you for a couple of years. You, you skipped SASDOC 19 last year, but, uh, but, but rumor is... And I uh, regret it. I regret it. I'll be there next one. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And um, uh, but yeah, like David, like for those that um, that, that don't know you, uh, that haven't listened to that podcast before, don't know who Hotjar is, uh, can you give a, a, a brief sort of intro uh, who you are and who Hotjar uh, is? Sure. So I'm the CEO, founder of Hotjar. I think you mentioned it already. So Hotjar is um, it's pretty much behavior analytics software. So it's it's a set of tools that allow you to go beyond traditional web analytics. We're typically seeing more numbers and graphs, uh, allowing you to understand what your users are really doing on your site. So think about heat maps, replaying the, the experience, funnels, uh, but then we also do feedback. So asking questions, uh, voice of customer in the moment. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's what Hotjar is, is all about. Uh, we're, we're completely remote probably the most interesting part of it. Uh, so we're now over 100 team members um, across, I think, over 23 countries. So it's a very diverse group of people. Yeah. Amazing. Good stuff. And, and so like, as, uh, as I mentioned on the, the, the podcast two years ago was this, I guess, kind of incredible journey and trajectory um, from building this remote company to getting 7 million in ARR and you sharing your operational kind of learnings. You, you, you mentioned um, uh, 100, over 100 employees. Are you happy to share kind of where you are in terms of ARR at, at the moment? Absolutely. So we're, we're just over $25 million in ARR. Um, so good growth. I think last year we were just over 40% in terms of growth, which is good, especially considering for a self-funded remote business, you know what I mean? We, we haven't been like pushing any, any gas pedals or anything. Yeah. So it's been sustainable, uh, yeah, um, sustainable growth, sustainable way of thinking about growth as well. Incredible. Uh, congrats on, on that. Uh, and, and so I, I guess for today, um, you, you know, want to kind of pick on, uh, I guess, kind of that, uh, the, the, the secrets or your kind of insights into uh, the things that you've kind of done right to, to get to 25 million, uh, you know, from that uh, 7 million in ARR within those kind of that two year time frame since we, we, we last had you on. Uh, also, some of the challenges that, that you have as a remote organization, you know, managing people, 
um, you know, co-founders, anything that that, that that we can, you know, sort of think of. Generally, uh, I think as we, we both know is, uh, you know, founders and, and, and CEOs, like, uh, running a business is bloody difficult. <laughs> um, and there, there, there's, you, you know, there's well, never an easy day. I mean, maybe, maybe obviously some days are, are much better than, than others, but, it, but it, it, it's definitely hard work. So, you know, I kind of want to, um, uh, I, I know that you're somebody that, uh, you know, is very open and honest and kind of, you know, shares those learnings and we, we appreciate that. So, um, one of the things um, when I, I guess one of the things I, I took out of the original podcast, uh, and I thought you were crazy at the time, but it, obviously uh, it, it seems that you're not you're not uh, at all. Was that you, you know from the beginning, you, like one of the uh, your secrets to your success, um, you know, to get to seven million was that you documented everything early and you looked at processes as something really important very early on. Um, and now Safstock, we're in our kind of fifth year, um, only kind of last year, we realized how important processes were as you, as you know, become a growth stage company. Um, so, so with that, um, do you think that was because, especially because you're a remote organization or like, why, why do you think that you sort of realized that processes were, were, were key from an uh, early on? As usually is the case, most of it is down to luck in the sense that I worked in a company which was extremely disorganized, no process, and everything was based on, let's have a conversation, and then we'll do that, and no one knows about that conversation. And then I worked with an extremely organized uh, company that had to be, uh, happened to be, happens to be a, a UK company. So I, I'll call them our conversion rate experts because they're super organized, and they were remote. So I learned a lot from them about the importance of operations. And in that company, they even had someone who, who had that title, they, was, they were the head of operations. So it was my first time seeing that and seeing the impact it can have. They were still small, but the impact it had on, on the company. So, so yeah, I think to your point in remote, couldn't be more important because obviously there isn't that kind of opportunity to bump into someone and say, hey, how do we do this and whatnot? It would be a lot of chatter, but yeah. Um, I think it's super, super important for any business to think about that way. There's a, anyone who knows me knows that I talk a lot about books. Um, there was a period in, uh, in my career where I read no books. I was, in my opinion, very lazy. And then that all changed when I met a lot of very smart people who I realized had read a lot of books. And there's a particular book about this, which is called E-Myth. And in it, they talk about how important it is that in your business, you have something like, um, you know, in hotels, they have, the, well, maybe, well, I say, you know, most people don't know, but in hotels, uh, they typically have a manual, the manual, you know, how to run the hotel, which covers the front desk to the cleaning. And imagine a hotel without that. Imagine yeah. what cha how chaotic that would be. Yeah. So at Hotjar, we have that. And this is what this book talks about. It's the Hotjar manual, how we run the business. Yeah, no, no, that's a, a, a great sort of analogy there. And something I, I've been um, sort of preaching to, to my team, and I, I was having a conversation actually uh, sort of last week um, with, with one of our, our team leads about processes. Uh, and I, I said to them, look, you know, I, I know that you're perfectly capable, like you, uh, you're an experienced person, you know how to do your sort of role, right? Uh, but without like these processes and checklists, like you, you, you might forget, you know, kind of like one or two things and like simple things. 
things, which might not mean that we'll execute to the best ability. And the example I used is like, you, you know, an airline pilot may have flown like millions of miles, right? But every time they sit down, they've got to run through that checklist to kind of, you, you know, make you, before they before they even take off, right? Just to make sure that they've got everything covered because they can't, you know, uh, remember, you know, hundreds of things that they need to do to kind of get that plane uh, running. So it, it it's only now that I, I'm really kind of uh, understanding and appreciating, you know, when you get that sort of growth stage business and you want to scale, how important those are. Because for the first few years, we, we managed to get by without any processes, right? Uh, but then if that's fine if you want a lifestyle business. But I think if you want a growth business, it's, uh, uh, it's not possible to not have processes. Um, and then, so this jump in two years from, from seven to 25, and uh, I think you were like maybe sort of between 30, 40 employees, uh, you know, a couple of years ago to now sort of a, a hundred. Can you give some insights as to, to, to how you like, you know, was, was there uh, anything like in particular, any kind of new products, any change in go to market, or have you just been doing the same thing uh, and you've just kind of seen that, uh, seen that growth? That's a good question. In many ways, so I presented twice at SaaS stock, right? And there was a little bit of continuity. The first session was about zero to 10. I think we called it the growth engine that got us from zero to 10. And then I think the second one in 2018 was 10 to 20. I've, I've been joking with you that this year, I hope, hopefully we'll do 20 to 30, right? We'll see. Yeah. Um, but it's quite interesting to see that as we look back, I think a lot of our trajectory, a lot of our success is still owed to that initial like, trajectory of zero to 10 of the things that I talked about there. So, so to answer your question, there haven't been really that many big changes in the product, also due to our product philosophy, which is like no massive changes and instead iterative shipping against like customer feedback and requests. If anything, we need to move much faster than we are and we're, we're starting to do that. Um, Go to market, we've definitely refined some things, although the majority of that has not yet been visible. So I'd say the majority of the work is the work kind of behind the curtains, you know, in the hidden internal stuff. And I think this year it's very exciting because I think like our customers, the public is going to start seeing more of the effects of that as now the momentum picks up. Is the go-to-market model still like 100% self-serve? Um, I mean, do you have any sales team? 100% self-serve. Yeah. So 100% self-serve. It is evolving. It's changing. We're becoming more smart about that, especially as now we have um, over 27,000 customers. We start to understand a little bit more. Where do we have better product market fit, right? Who are the ones that are using our product more? So we're starting to refine our go-to-market in the sense of segmenting a little bit better, where should we be focusing on in terms of both product, the service, and whatnot. Um, in terms of the self-serve model and sales, um, we made so many mistakes here. Um, self -self, the self-serve model um, is interesting because getting, like starting to evolve from that and start doing sales or success a little bit better can be done in so many different ways and flavors. But it, the, the, the key is just to do it fast and learn, <laughs> make mistakes and adapt. So what we've done is we've made mistakes. We weren't just fast enough. So, for example, in the beginning, we said, okay, what should we do? This was a long time ago. Should we have a sales team and success team or have one? And we decided to do one success team that would do both sales and success. But what happened is we realized 80% of the work was actually sales. So we never got to do success. 
So my advice to anyone in, in a similar position to us is to really look at your business, at the, at the movements that you're seeing in MRR and see where are the biggest opportunities and where should I build first? And where in your in a growth environment, you just cannot afford to build sequentially, right? You have to be building on all fronts uh, continuously, which we can talk about that later. So, so yeah, so our sales team now has evolved. We've brought it out of success. So we got that done. Um, we've made a lot of improvements operationally and, and hiring and, and the team. So now we are, yeah, we're six people as of just, we hired another two people last few weeks. Um, and yeah, it's pretty much still inside sales. So there isn't much nurturing or um, it's, it's more reactive, but we're starting to think differently about that. And the way we're doing it is we're kind of using an efficiency number. So this small sales team that is growing carries a cost, right? So if we express that cost against the revenue it's generating in terms of annual deals that it's closing, what is that ratio? And we start to think about how do we improve that ratio and we're just starting from there. Very, very, very small steps to begin with. Make, make, makes sense. And, and so, the, um, so if, if you're getting uh, obviously 100 percent sort of inbound, you've got you build, you've got this small uh, you know sales team inside sales team. Like majority of uh, I, I guess sort of like the, the leads that are coming to the website. You, you know the, the what is the, uh, the the strategy there? Is it are, are you are you doing all sort of you know content marketing? A lot of like paid. Uh, ads like how are you creating the the awareness so you know what are the channels for, for go to market yeah and uh, so go to uh, sorry the the word of mouth for us is definitely one of the strongest parts of our go to market and that's what i meant by that initial traction we got what i talked about that zero to ten has still been a big driving force to us mm -hmm. which i think is a testament to how how important it is how you think about when you do launch, right? Not this big fancy launch, more iterative, fast launch, how you think about support, how you treat your customer, measuring NPS, understanding what are your weaknesses, acting on them. Because that initial trajectory has a big impact like on, on, your, on that wave that you're creating. Um, so, so yeah, so word of mouth is still very big for us. We do fuel it a lot with paid. In the past, we did kind of more blanket paid, like these are the things we believe in. Since then, we're becoming much, much smarter in terms of how we do that. Um, we've hired uh, a lot of new members of the marketing team, in particular, a new VP of marketing, Sancho, who's amazing. And we're starting to think in a much smarter way how we measure attribution, what actually do these channels mean to us or not. But we've also made incredible progress from a content point of view, which is something that initially we didn't spend time on because we wanted to come out of the gate quite fast and content is kind of more of a, uh, a long game, right? Um, having said that, my advice would still be try and start earlier than we did. You can't start too early with content. Um, we also had a few hiccups, but um, Theo and Louis from our marketing team, they've done an amazing job turning things around and we're really focusing on creating what we call hub style content um, so themes which are valuable to our users but also we rank well on um, from a, from an SEO point of view so finding that sweet spot since we've done that the traffic is really taking off now again we're taking a step back to understand 
where are we getting quality leads, right? Where, where, where is this really working and doubling down on that, on those areas? So yeah, so there's been a lot of kind of maturity and evolution happening. Again, no big, big steps. This year, we're doubling down even more though. We, we, we just hired a, a new director of demand gen. She's joining us next week. So this is where we're going to start thinking a little bit more um, aggressively about spend and testing, experimentation, exploring new things. So we're very excited about that. Do you, uh, you mentioned um, concept being a, a sort of long game. And so you guys, you started a podcast. Are you still doing that? No, we're not. That's kind of one of the hiccups that I talk about from a content point of yeah. view. So we, we thought a lot about how do, we, how do we create content that's different in this world of content coming from everywhere. And I think we created something really interesting, the human strike back. I guess the, the lessons that we learned there is that um, there was some good traction. People who heard it liked it. Um, I think it, 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 it aligned really well with who we are and what Hajar stands for. But I think, again, you need to be very thoughtful about where are we and what are like the next steps. Like, I think with that podcast, we kind of tried to make a 10-step a leap. You know what I mean? Because it's kind of more brand aligned, like the general message. So taking very valuable resources of a small team to do that at that stage um, considering what we need, comparing that to the hubs thing, hubs of content that I talked about, very difficult to compare the two. So what we've said is we've put, like, we've put it on pause. It's like we've completed season one and then, and then we'll revisit it later. Awesome. I, I guess so moving away uh, from content and then I guess sort of you, uh, your role uh, as a CEO. So uh, if we look at like what you were doing uh, two years ago, and I, I can't quite remember, but I could, I could imagine uh, as, as a CEO, like some of the things that you would be doing. Like what, what does it look like for, uh, for David Darman in sort of now? Like, you know, what is your week and you, you know, uh, what is your day kind of look like? How are you scheduling this? And then are, are there any changes? That's, that's a great question, because I think since we last spoke, this has probably been at least half of the time the biggest topic of personal development for me. So I'm, I'm a practitioner, right? So I'm not technical in terms of engineering, but I'm technical. So I understand design. I understand copy. I've been a consultant. I've built design teams. I've been a designer. So the biggest <laughs> challenge for me has been actually understanding what is the job of a CEO. And I've had to reinvent myself multiple times. And last year, I actually burnt out. I actually had to tell the team, you know what? Like, um, it, I remember it was a week where I was simultaneously trying to hire and build out the leadership team, think about culture and training for the team and, 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 um, and whatnot. And also building out a training deck for our customers and joining a call to do a session with, with a customer as a, as a test. And I just burnt out and I realized I was spreading myself too thin. I'm quite an impatient person and want to see things happening. It's the achiever part of me, I guess. I like to get things done. And I was splitting myself across kind of individual contributor work, leadership work, and that was just um, not a good idea. So I guess in building the leadership team and we've hired some amazing people who have joined us, the biggest thing that they've helped me realize as well, coming from bigger organizations and working with their CEO, uh, CEOs, is that actually my job is to let go, is to complete, I thought I let go, but I hadn't let go, is to completely let go and to truly embrace building teams that do the work 
and that you're just there to empower them, remove the blockers and give them the resources. I'm now an internal investor. I invest in teams. I invest in people. And I just need to detach myself completely from those micro decisions and whatnot. So that, that in hindsight, I always thought I was there. And every few months I realized I wasn't there. So I think I'm there now, but probably there's still a little bit where to go. But I think I'm a much better place. I took two weeks off to just relax, read some books, get in a better place. I came back with a much better idea of what my job is. And I think since then I've, I've been happier in my role and it's much more clear what I should be doing. So to answer your question, my week is now becoming more and more about um, speaking to candidates from the leadership point of view. I can, I can give you an update of where we're at with the leadership team. Spending a lot of time with my reports, so the VPs, uh, helping them with decisions, questioning their decisions, um, stepping in with people-related problems, um, uh, and also coaching. I do a lot of coaching, a lot of skip syncs, which I made a mistake in the past of not doing enough. And that's a problem of abdicating. You have to be careful not to abdicate from your team. Um, and then, yeah, in general, I, I, I have realized that my job is, is to run a team, which is the exec team. So every week um, we have, just like any other team, we have our backlog, we have the decisions we need to take, I organize that call, I, then I report back to the team, here's the work we've done, here's the decisions we've taken. So that's my job now. It's, it's literally making sure I'm steering the, sh the ship, but letting everyone do their work. Um, yeah, so let, let, let's talk about this, uh, the, the leadership team, or if we go um, step back a bit, obviously uh, uh, Hotjar uh, was founded with five co-founders, like a, a quite large amount of co-founders. Um, I think there, uh, there are um, you know, some changes within the roles of the, the, the various co-founders within that. Um, so, um, so let's talk about that. Uh, and then also then let's talk about uh, the leadership team, the current sort of status, how many people you have reporting into you and how many people you think like a, a CEO, you know, should have uh, reporting into them. Um, so, should we should we take it from the from the co-founder side of things? Because again, whenever I hear uh, and uh, you know five co-founders or six co-founders, I think, wow, you know, it's a lot of people. Is that always going to work? And like, you know, has has it worked for Hotjar? And, and what's the status around that? Yeah, I, I, so far it has worked really well for us. Um, look, in the past, I've been in startups that haven't succeeded where, where, where everyone was a C-something, right? CEO, CTO, CRO, and like six C-somethings six in a room. You know what I mean? So with Hotjar, we wanted to take the complete opposite approach, which was actually to really hold back in terms of giving big titles and think of the team as a growing team. So either people grow into these roles or we hire from the outside. So we were very careful with this. However, we quickly realized that we, we were never happy in our previous jobs that we've had before um, in terms of how seniority and promotions and stuff worked. So we really thought hard about how we wanted it to work at Hodger. And we created this model we shared with the team where basically there's two tracks at Hodger. Um, there's a leadership track. And there's a seniority track. So seniority is where you specialize domain expertise um, and you're pretty much staying as much as possible away from people management. And the leadership track is people management, but it's not detached. We, we hate the concept of a people manager that does only people management. Like at Hodger, we just don't believe in it. And I think in remote, it, it really doesn't tend to work because the person you speak to 
needs to be somehow involved in your work because if they're detached from it, it's just weird. So we've got those two tracks. Um, the, the entry point for the leadership is what we call a team lead. Now, in most companies, a team lead is the most senior, you know what I mean? Take decisions, typically maybe the cowboy or the champion or the, you know what I mean? So we've, we've separated that. So in the team, right, at the front line, you've got the team lead that is focused on people management, creating inclusive environment, giving feedback, um, impact, making sure the team is working towards an objective. Whereas then there are seniors in there who are the experts, right? Those are the ones we lean on terms of how do we build this? What is the next step, right? So this has worked really well for us. So again, I wanna be careful not to give you too long answer to this, but when it came to the co-founders, we realized that actually not all of us were meant for the leadership track, right? Um, so the net outcome is that actually two of us are in leadership, um, two of us, so one is me, the CEO, the other is a director of engineering, uh, then we have two princip a principal designer and a principal engineer, right? And they're doing a fantastic job doing that. And then one of the co-founders is no longer active, um, not, not in a non-executive role. Current leadership team, uh, how does that look uh, at Hot Jobs? And reports to me, yeah. So, so yeah, in my last session at, at Sastock, I talked about us having leadership debt, right? And and I'm very happy. Like it's funny that I'm using these Sastock events to look back at our progress and milestones. It's weird, right? So we're using Sastock as benchmarks for our journey. Um, but it's interesting because I like doing these events because I actually presented at Sastock and I said, this is the one thing we want to tackle. And I think when I'm coming back to Sastock, can I actually speak to that? And it's exciting to say that we can. We've done a huge turnaround. We've hired an amazing VP of product and engineering, Mohamed. Um, He's really transformed completely the way we think about hiring the team. He, he's built out like a two-tribe structure with squads, ownership. So that's really had a big impact on us. So he reports directly to me and he's taken all product and engineering. We talked about Sanchar, VP of marketing. He's, he's owned all the marketing um, resources. V, uh, another VP of ops is Ken. So he, that's the ops role we talked about earlier, right? So he takes care of compliance, people, finance, um, all that stuff. Um, and now the last frontier, so that's three reports. The last frontier, which is left, is uh, sales success, um, and, and sorry, sales support and success. So currently I have two people reporting to me, Alison, who's heading out the sales team, and Colleen, who's, who leads support and success. So now, right now, I'm actively um, doing the search for a VP to head that area. So someone who can develop these playbooks in sales and success and someone that can come in with a very strong business mindset. So that's, that's it. And then there are other roles that we have, but part of our OKRs for this year is we need to hire 100% of the leadership roles we've def defined. And there's a ton of director roles. So directors of product, of engineering, of finance. So there's, there's a lot of work, work happening there. Did you meet Sancho at Sastor? Actually, indirectly, yes. But yeah, I'd say I need to be careful what to say, but some people that we're speaking to actually saw me speak at Sastock and had a big impact. So, so yeah, don't underestimate the impact of events from a hiring point of view, especially leadership, right? Hot Joe's bootstraps, right? Um, I know that you, uh, you know, the founders have like put in some of your own money, you know, in, in the beginning. 
how often do you think about taking VC money? How, how many VC meetings are you taking a year, like, uh, if any? Like, or is the plan, like, we're going to build this bootstraps $100 million company uh, in, in terms of ARR? Like, what, what, what's the, the thought process there? So we have, actually. Um, I've always been torn by this whole raise versus lifestyle business, right? And none of them, neither of them appeal to me completely um, because like, I don't believe in growth for the sake of growth to get this lottery ticket and either you go super successful or nothing, which to me just doesn't make sense. But equally, not investing to your business and taking a step back and like kind of whatever doesn't, not, not to say the lifestyle is that, but you know what I mean? Like not thinking about that also doesn't appeal to me. So we have spoken to VCs, multi, and I'd say there are three rounds that we did. So the first one was very early on. We didn't know what was going to happen. We actually got to two term sheets. And I often think back how, how things would be different if we had raised. My summary of thinking back in hindsight is I think that we would have moved much faster. We would have, we would have saved a year or two, but we would have obviously had much less control and we would already be positioned right now to dominate a category, right? Or thinking about how do we get to IPO, which is not where we want to be. The second round was not done very well. We were inundated by people asking us, like, let's talk, let's roll. And back then I was ignorant to how this world worked, which is basically VCs have sales teams. You know what I mean? Like they're going out doing business development and all that stuff. And what happens being on the other end of that and not understanding how it works, your FOMO really kicks in, right? Of how, like, what are we doing? Are we making a mistake? And then you see other companies raising and everything, you just go nuts. So we made the mistake of kind of taking some ad hoc calls because some people got to us somehow through our connections and everything, and we were impressed. The outcome of that is it didn't work out. Like, we didn't feel it was a fit, but we also got a no. And that was kind of a weird experience to us at that point because we were very confident. A few months later, we said, let's do this properly. And we did a kind of proper roadshow and spoke to VCs and growth investors and everything. And I think it was, it was a great experience both ways in terms of Hotjar not actually being the right fit for what they were doing. Because for them, it was, do you have an enterprise plan? And do you have a sales team? And is the pipeline? And are you predicting like how much you're going to sell? And we come from a little bit more inefficient view, which is let's create brand value and then we'll get to that stuff. Let's not extract every dollar value now, today. You know what I mean? So, and, and we also did get no's, right? Which is a great experience getting those no's. And I think it's part of the grit of being an entrepreneur. And the model there was more, what if we took out some secondary, took out some money so that we feel a little bit more comfortable about this whole scary thing and double down and invest more. But actually the net outcome of this whole experience was, you know what, we're super profitable, we're doing really well. Um, why should we be worrying too much about this? And so it was more psychologically finding fit peace with ourselves. And since then we've built out this, what we call this roadmap to 100 million in ARR, 100,000 customers. So it's, it's not really deadlines or, or like anything that we're going to tear our hair out of our head or anything, but there is a clear path for us to achieve this self-funded and going forward. So we're not worried about it. And, and yeah, it's very clear how we can have a much bigger impact and deliver value to many more companies going forward. If you've benchmarked 
previously against uh, previous SaaS docs um, on your performance. Within the roadmap, have you said by SaaS doc 2025 <laughs> that we're going to be 100 million ARR? There is a year, but I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say it to you. We'll we'll have to do that in Dublin. Now the yeah. reason is, it's not to, like to be secretive. It's like we're definitely between like set goals, but not overdo it with goals. And I'm not a big believer in putting undue stress on the team and everything. So it is a clear path, but yeah, I don't want to kind of put too much pressure. So do you, I mean, do you have, so talking of goals, like, do you have a, a, like your big, is that your BHAG? Is it a hundred million in ARR, but there is not a set time so frame? Our BHAG is 100,000 customers, yeah. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, r- roughly, look, we like, the, we like the numbers one and zero. So 100,000, yeah. h- how do we get to 100,000 customers in 10 years? That's kind of yeah. roughly, but it's an arbitrary number that we chose because it kind of like, Makes it's going to be nine or 11 or 12.5, you know, so. Makes sense. Um, uh, so quickly, just the final sort of few questions. Um, uh, I, I know sort of conscious of, of time here. So if we, if we look at that sort of last two year period, then uh, could you, uh, or is, is it easy for you to kind of distill in uh, maybe sort of like one to three uh, sort of, of the biggest challenges uh, that you had? And then let's have a look at kind of like pick one to kind of three of the, the, the biggest wins and, and successes that you had. Yeah, look, I'd say the biggest challenge has definitely been from a technical point of view, big technical challenges and a little bit of paralysis, I'd say. The second is definitely leadership. And it took us long to figure that out. But now we know because kind of we've made a lot of improvements there. And I'd say the third was just getting to grips with how operating a 80 person team versus 21 is different especially from an an alignment point of view and just focusing on less and getting that done so momentum let's let's call it that okay and 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 the 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 biggest wins over the last sort of two years or like the biggest ideas and things that you've implemented that have really helped you kind of kick on um I'd say on, on the first, uh, like they're, they're quite connected, the technical, the paralysis and the leadership. So definitely hiring the right people. And we really, really were, were careful with culture fit and it really paid off waiting and making the right choice. Um, that has really helped. Now there's a much clearer uh, way of thinking about challenges, the way forward, the vision. And culturally, it's much more clear, I think, to the team how we build stuff. We've lost some people in the process, but I think it's been a good losing of people both ways because we realized since there wasn't that clarity of how we're doing things, we might have hired people that come from different backgrounds, different ways of thinking things. So now it's much more clear, this is our way, right? Which is much more iterative, tackle one challenge at a time, no big, massive projects to kind of save the future or anything. So we're trying to avoid that. I already talked through the leadership hire wins. So those have had the big impact on the company and me and the department. So doubling down on that. If there's any advice I can give to anyone out there is make sure that you're, you're, you're thinking very carefully about that. And actually, there's another challenge that I'll mention, which I think is important, is under hiring in our case. Because you mentioned you're, you're bootstrapped, right? You're self-funded. Um, we don't have kind of a board with VCs on it, right? So 
how do you determine how fast do you grow and whatnot, right? So this was a, a tricky thing for us. So we spent a lot of time thinking about how do we grow and how we do things. We've settled on a number that's really helping us, which is revenue per team member. So this gives us an idea of what's healthy growth and are we under-investing, over-investing, benchmarking with public companies. And it's given us a framework of how to hire. So this has really helped us realize, actually, we were under-hiring. But it also is a good benchmark for us going forward um, to be careful not to overhire. So like it's, it's, a, it's a really great way for us thinking about that. So. Two final questions. So obviously, uh, you, you mentioned, uh, as, as I know, you're an avid reader. Um, and you mentioned E-Myth uh, as, as sort of one book um, that you, uh, you, you've, you, you've used and you've learned from. So uh, currently, like uh, I, I guess over the last sort of few months, you know, what, are, what are the books that you've been reading that have been helping you on your journey? Um, so we switched to, um, the OKR framework, which had quite a big impact on us. So measure what matters by John Doerr is, is a really good book. I actually took notes and it summarized it, built a deck for the team. Like it was really, really effective. It, it had a big impact. Um, I want to take the opportunity to mention uh, a very interesting book that we just finished finish reading as a, in a book club format within the team. It's called um, Better Allies by, by Karen Catlin. Uh, it talks about diversity and inclusion. Anyone who is a growing team, I think it's really important to read about how you can be a better ally to underrepresented groups or, or people who, who, do, who do need that type of support. It's a great, great book. And then not to overdo it, I'll think of one last one. Um, I'd have to say, I'd have to say good strategy, bad strategy. It's been a really, really good book in terms of thinking about how you think about the future and understanding what strategy is. There's a lot of yeah. misconceptions out there about strategy. It's much simpler than we think. So those three. Awesome. And you, you mentioned obviously last year that you, um, you burnt out and you, you took two weeks off and you sort of, that gave you a sort of realization in terms of like how to manage your, your time. Like what are you doing in 2020, uh, you know, for yourself to ensure that you don't burn out again, uh, apart from let's say, you know, better delegation and management of the teams, but personally for your health and fitness, what are you doing? Yeah, so Hodger, we, we introduced like a wellness budget that, we, that everyone has access to on, on an ongoing basis. I think it's around 200 euros a month. You can use however you want. Um, so I wanted to set the example to the team as well of using that. When I burnt out last year, I did a presentation to the team and a, discord, and a, and a post on a, on a tool we use called Discourse talking about it. I used BetterHelp, so we allow the team to use BetterHelp. That's where you get matched with a counselor online. It's, it's amazing. It's great to just talk to, to a stranger about your problems. Um, but I've also, there's a, a, another few things that I'm doing. So um, I've found that uh, exercise is really important to me. I have two young kids. Um, I work remote. So I use an app called Strive. I have it on my Apple TV, on my iPad and my phone. In the morning, it's 12 minutes or 20 minutes exercise. Have a shower. You know, it just feels like I've started the day at work. So that's, that's, a, that's been a big win. Um, I, I, I think just having something as simple as, as calm as an app, so I'm really focusing on meditation, I think, which is really important. 
Um, so that's, that's the second thing. And the third is just personal self-development. That's something that we do also at Hardjar, stuff outside work. Every Hardjar has 1,000 euros every year to spend on their personal development, anything you want. And I've never used that, which is ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like I've created this and I'm not using it. So this year I've signed up for masterclass.com. I love to cook. I have a lot of different passions in there. So I'm just investing a little bit more in myself and doing this stuff. So that's kind of what I'm doubling down on. And then from a from, from person point of view, from a work point of view, I just want to mention it, really making sure I have the right support, the people I can delegate to and people I can lean on for help, right? So, so that's really important. Awesome. All right. Well, David, um, we come come to the end of the show. It, like a pleasure as always. It was being you know great to catch yeah. up and really appreciate you uh, you know being sort of like very open, transparent, and sharing uh, your lessons and learnings in Hot Jar. Really helps the the community uh, you, you know with their own uh, challenges and uh, understanding of how to grow their businesses. And uh, David mentioned the, the the two talks that he gave at that previous SaaS Docs. Uh, they are on our, our YouTube channel, uh, and his uh, the trilogy. Uh, will be let's not say complete, although that will complete a trilogy. Will be at uh, um, at Sasdoc 20 in October in Dublin. So looking forward to the 20 to 30 million. Uh, that's the target. So that's the the goal we're giving you uh, um, uh, for for October. But uh, looking forward to that and having a pint of Guinness with you uh, in in Dublin this October. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Thanks so much, David Darmanin. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps your SaaS company get traction, grow, and scale. Uh, David Darmanin will be joining us for the third time to speak at SaaStock in Dublin uh, this October 13th and 14th. Uh, if you'd like to uh, join us or find out where uh, other events are happening uh, in a town or a country near you, uh, go to sasdoc.com forward slash events and find out uh, what uh, events we've got going on. We'll see you next time.